You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Today we're starting a new sub-series of our year-long series, Unstoppable Church, going through the whole book of Acts for the whole year. And uh, just to break it up and keep it fresh, uh, if you're like me, you're like a whole year, one topic, one theme. Are you like that? Or am I just the only one that's a little bit like ADHD? No, I'm the only one? For my benefit then, since it's not for yours, for my benefit then, and we've, I've come up with four sub-series to the book of Acts, and so we did the first one, in the first few weeks we covered the fact that, that God-empowered and unstoppable church is God-empowered, it is a, a church that's on Jesus' mission, it's a church that is following God-appointed leadership, and it's a church filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what we've covered in the first chapter and a half of Acts, and uh, we've, seen how, we've, seen, we've seen how God takes a group of people in the rest of Acts, how God takes a group of people who are, who are God-empowered and does amazing things through their lives and their, through their church. And the natural result of the coming of the Holy Spirit in the first part of Acts chapter 2 is this. It sets the stage for the rest of Acts and even the, the, the age we live in. But the, the natural result of the coming of the Holy Spirit is this. It's in, he, he infuses God's people with an audacious faith to accomplish God's purposes. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He infuses God's people with an audacious faith to live out God's calling and live out God's purposes in this world. So we've called this second sub-series Audacious Faith. That's what we see in the believers. There's regular, ordinary people like you and I. People who have their flaws, people who have their inconsistencies, people who struggle, and yet by the power of the Holy Spirit, man, they did unnatural and, and not normal things for Jesus as they lived out this faith that didn't come from them. It came from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to be that people. We want, to, we want to understand what they thought and how they felt. We want to be that people here, amen? We want to be a people with audacious faith to see God do great and mighty things through us as the first church did. So what is audacious faith? I know you're thinking this, so I'm going to answer it right now. So what's audacious faith? Here's what the word audacious means. It really means this. It's the idea of being bold and daring and courageous and valiant and gutsy. When you think of audacious, you think of like someone who's like a, a mountain climber. You think of a mountain climber who's like, like that's an audacious adventure right there, right? Like it's, it's bold, it's daring. You think of a, a surfer, right, who takes on the biggest wave, like audacious, dude, like, right? <laughs> audacious. Like who does those things? Like these, these crazy people, when it comes to faith, we want to be audacious, not like climbing a mountain, not like surfing a wave, but like audacious in like stepping out of our comfort zones and putting everything on the line for Jesus, that's what audacious faith is. It's like, it's like guys like, like Jim Elliot. Picture of audacious faith. It's, it's a guy like Jim Elliot, a guy who, who grew up in the, in, you know, a long time ago in like early, late 20s, early 30s, grew up in, in, North, in the United States in a regular average home, pretty affluent and, and encountered Jesus Christ in early age, went to Wheaton College, and, and at Wheaton College, he, he studied and was studying to be a missionary and, and, and wanted to take the gospel to the world and one of his internships, one of his summer, summers in college, he got to go to Ecuador and really got a calling in Ecuador for the people there and, and was willing to put, think, think back then, like willing to put everything on the line, like leave everything, get on a ship and go. Got to Ecuador and was working with a, a, a tribe in Ecuador and came across another tribe called the Alca, the Alca tribe. And these people were like the, the vicious, the Stone Age tribe, the vicious of the vicious, the ruthless of the ruthless, and, and they were well known for anyone who fringed upon their territory they kill them. Don't ask questions, kill them. And, and 
Jim Elliott was one of these guys that was like, man, like, like Christ has called us. Christ has given us such a powerful message. Like, how can this whole tribe go through their whole lives and never hear of the good news of Jesus Christ? Everybody else is afraid to go, but like, if we really believe this thing, like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. And so he started praying. He started rallying up his other missionaries. And so they did some, some flyovers over the, the Alka tribe. They dropped some gifts and you know, some things over the plane to try and show them, hey, we're here for you. We wanna share some good news with you. We're not here to hurt you. And, and so they did that and they did it a few times. And they finally made, in 1956, they made a landing on the beach near the Alka tribe, just the outskirts, and, and some of the, the, the natives came out, and they met them, and they seemed to have a good time. They took one up in an airplane, and even took him for a tour, and thought, this is great. God's answering our prayers. We're going to share the gospel, and so, so spurred them on. A couple days later, they came back with five missionaries. Five missionaries landed on that beach, ready to share the good news of Jesus. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. We're ready to share the good news of Jesus, and they got off their plane, and instantly, they were surrounded, and they were murdered for their faith. 28 years old, this guy, 28 years old, put it all on daring, amen, daring, bold, holding nothing back to the outer limits in his faith in Jesus Christ. This is audacious faith. Before he died, Jim Elliott said some, 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 had some quotes that we still quote today, like however many years later, because it was such a, a, an abnormal thing in our culture, but normal thing when it comes to like the, 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 the church that God has set up for us. And, and he has some quotes that show us what audacious faith is. He, he lived it, and here's what he said about it. He is no fool who, who gives what he cannot keep to gain when he cannot lose. Audacious faith. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Here's another one of his. Here's audacious faith. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt. Every situation you believe to be the will of God, live to the hilt. To the max. And it's not just one guy that God infuses this audacious faith in. It's not just this church in Acts that God infuses with an audacious faith. It's the church, the believers, the worldwide movement of God. He infuses in his people an audacious faith to do what, what can't be done in our own selves, but what can only be done through Jesus Christ. And as we look at the church of Acts, remember 120 people, a little group of 120 people, and God infused them with a fire for Jesus, a fire for the gospel. That fire spread. If you wonder what this map is for, I'll have to go over here because you can't even see it. If you wonder what this map is for, it's been here since the beginning. You're like, what's that thing for? This is a map. If you see, see the little flame down here that I pointed out? See it? This is showing, this is showing, this is going to track the movement of the gospel with, a, with an audacious faith group of believers. And so this is, represents Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit came and, and put the fire in their hearts. And then we're going to watch over the next year how this fire, as God's people take the gospel and take the word of God abroad, how it's going to spread throughout the whole region. And we get to track that as we go through Acts. It's going to be a pretty cool visual just to see uh, what God does with people who are really willing to sacrifice and to take God seriously and to trust in the promises of God to the max to see him do great and mighty things in us and through us. And so we're gonna carry on through the book of Acts here. We're starting at Acts chapter two, verse 14. Where does audacious faith start as we get this? Where does audacious faith start? It starts right here. What does it look like? It looks like men and women who are tenacious in their faithfulness to speak the truth of Jesus. We want to have audacious faith. We want to see God do audacious things through our church. Where does it start? It starts with God's people, God's men and women having a tenacious faithfulness to speak the truth of Jesus. It's interesting to note as we study Acts, the first thing that happens every time after the Holy Spirit comes is the people didn't retreat to a little spiritual huddle. They didn't have these warm fuzzies inside of like, ooh, I'm so filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what they did? They stood and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what happens in Acts 2. Peter 
Standing with the eleven, the other disciples lifted up his voice and addressed them. So the Holy Spirit comes, remember, it's confusion like at first, and then they're all hearing in their own language what the, 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 the people, the believers are saying, and some think they're drunk, and some think they're crazy. So Peter's like, he just stands, he says, okay, here's what's going on, people. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Listen up. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's 9 a.m. It's only the third hour of the day. But what's happening here is, is really prophecy being fulfilled. It's uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He was empowering them to speak the gospel that others would be saved. Verse 22, it's gonna be a big chunk today, but don't worry, I'm gonna break it down really simply for you. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works. This is Peter's sermon. And wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Yet God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life and you'll make me full of gladness with your presence. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you that with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So this isn't about David, even though David wrote it. Therefore, being therefore a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke, he's speaking about the resurrection of Jesus, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says this, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ as Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, the people who were hearing this, they were cut to the heart penetrated their souls and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord your God, our God, calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. It's an amazing passage of scripture, isn't it? We usually bite off chunks of like five verses because you know I have a lot to say about everything and yet you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't cut up the sermon of Peter and, 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 and try and, we just want to get the fullness of it in, in one shot and so I'm gonna attempt to do that so I'm gonna talk even faster than normal today maybe 
So like buckle up and get your pens out, okay? But there's so much in here that we just can't miss it. And there's so much I believe that applies to us as well as we want to be believers who live in audacious faith. And I've already given you the first point. What does it look like? It looks like a tenacious faithfulness to speak the truth of Jesus. Can't get too far. You might skip over this as you read this, but you can't, you can't skip over this too far as we understand this whole sermon and what it, where it came from and where it's going. But, but look at this. So who stood, up and, who stood up and preached this sermon? Who stood up? Peter. You're thinking, yeah, so Peter stood up. He was a disciple. He was an apostle. Of course he preached a sermon. That's what they do. Don't know? Don't miss this. Don't miss this out of this text. Peter. Think about who Peter is. This is, this is a significant deal in Peter's life. Think who Peter is. Remember Peter the apostle? He was sort of a bold, brash guy. Remember he was the guy that when they came to get Jesus, he's like, oh no, you don't take my Lord. Whoosh, took out his sword and cut the guy's ear off. Remember? Jesus was like, Peter, what are you doing? Like, take the ear. He stuck it back on. You think you're all that, but you got you to keep in control, man. So he's kind of out of control guy when it came to the natural flesh. But when it came to spiritual things, what was he like? He was pretty weak, remember? He's the guy that's like, oh, yeah, Lord, everyone's going to deny you three times. Like, I will never deny you. Jesus is like, actually, Peter, to this very night, you're going to deny me three times. And then the night played out, and he's like, hey, 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 Peter, do you know, do you know this guy named Jesus? Jesus, Jesus, who? No, I knew Hey, Peter, weren't you, the, weren't you the guy that was hanging out with Jesus? No, no, no. My brother looks like me, maybe. You know? My brother, my not me, for sure. Peter, Peter, Peter. Aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? No. Remember Peter? And then when the cross came, remember the cross, the cross of Jesus? And, and we don't know exactly who was there, but, but it gives the impression in the gospel that the disciples were, where were they? They were standing far off. They're like, oh, don't want to get too close. When the women saw Jesus in the empty tomb, they ran and told the disciples, and they ran into a couple of them, and Peter was one of them. They told them all the things they'd seen and heard, and they're like, we don't believe it. We, it's, it's too much for my mind to comprehend. So where's Peter? He's running for the tomb because he had to prove. He, he had to see. He had to, he, he doubted. And yet the Holy Spirit comes, fills him, Next thing you know, he's the guy who's standing before a multitude of people. The 3,000 people came to Christ. There's way more than 3,000 there. And he's the one that's boldly preaching the gospel. Doesn't that strike you as wow? Because I can relate to Peter. But can I relate to Peter, full of the Holy Spirit? And the disciples, where were they after the, the resurrection? They, they were in the upper room with Peter, cowering, and yet here they are standing with him. Oh yeah, we're here, we're here. And they're standing to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to show you about this. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, it's kind of a continuation of last week, but the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he completely revolutionizes all of the disciples' lives, all of the believers' lives. The Holy Spirit's presence wasn't like a sweet little spiritual summer camp experience or a conference moment that kind of was high for a minute and came down to nothing. The Holy Spirit was a life-changing encounter with God that propelled his people to an audacious faith that actually unlocked the promises of God. Remember some of the promises of God to Peter? Matthew 16, 19, Peter, you're the one that's gonna have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Well, what are you waiting for? Then give me the keys. He, he, he needed the Holy Spirit to fill him and indwell him for him to actually be able to live out the calling that God had upon his life. And he's the guy who's, who's, who's taking the key to the Jews right now. He's put it in the door and he's unlocking it. 
the gospel of salvation to the Jews. And he stood and preached. First sermon of Peter, right here, it's recorded for us. In fact, Acts has a lot of sermons in the book of Acts. We're going to study 19 of them, actually, 19 sermons. Uh, Eight by Peter, nine by Paul, one by Stephen and James. And as sermons go, you'll realize that they're all pretty basic. You know, we have seminaries now to teach sermons, and we have classes to learn how to, how to do evangelism, and yet and these guys were just raw. They, they'd been with Jesus for three years, but they, no one, no one took them through the, the whole process. What to, they just stood up and preached as the Holy Spirit led them. And so we see Peter's first sermon here. Never studied sermon prep, didn't have a youth group to practice on like most of us have. Probably wasn't the greatest sermon of the century, but he just had a faith to stand and to proclaim the truth of who Jesus Christ is, and that was enough for God to take it and do wondrous things through it. I want to encourage you too, before I start unpacking this for you, this wasn't the fullness of his sermon. If you guys are thinking, well, that was a short sermon. Why can't our pastor preach like that? Look at verse 40, and with many other words, he also preached this. It's a snapshot of his sermon. It's a, it's a synopsis to get the main points. Plus, who can preach a three-minute sermon full of the Holy Spirit? No one, right? But there's some principles in here I think that we can learn from as we, as we live out our audacious faith, as we live out for Jesus Christ, the life that he's called us to live. What does it mean to evangelize? What does it mean to, to share Jesus Christ? How do you do that? What do you, what do you even say? Where do you go? Well, Peter shows us what to say and where to go. First of all, he does this in his sermon. He connects with current reality. He connects with current reality. People, people, gather around, gather around, listen up, listen up. You're not sure what's going on here. I'll tell you what's going on here. This is not new to us. It's not new to God. This is actually a quote, this next little, verse 17. You see the little quotations there, verse 17 to verse 21. It's a quote from Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and, and he's saying, hey, hey, this is, this, is, this, is, this is just what God had planned from way before. He promises us in Joel chapter 2, that in the last days, there's going to be visions and dreams and prophecies. This is happening today. Be excited. This is actually evidence that God is truly alive. Then he goes into a, a, the next part of that, that quote. Is, it's, really, it's really called it's a, a, the law of double reference. He's saying, like, look, it's happening now. It's proof. You, you don't know what's happening around you, but I'm telling you what's happening. It's, it's God-ordained. It's proof that God is here. God is alive. And it's, it's partially fulfilling what he said in Joel. If you look through the rest of Joel... The rest of that quote, he's pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. Being fulfilled now, it's going to be fully fulfilled in the future. These wonders in heaven, these signs before the final end, the wrath of God is going to come. And why is God doing this? He's doing this in verse 28. Why is he pouring out his spirit? Why is he causing people to stop and take notice that there's something greater in the world going on? Why? Because because it says here in verse 21, that he desires everyone to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. He wants everyone to know of Jesus so they can call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. So Peter starts to say, here's what's going on here. And then he goes straight to a whole understanding of who Jesus Christ is for the people who don't know anything about Jesus. It's a Charles Spurgeon principle. You know, open the text and get straight to Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter is doing. He's calling attention to Jesus Christ. It's not really rocket science. We think sharing our faith is so hard and so difficult and I could never preach and I could never stand in front of people. I could never talk of my faith. Look what, look what Peter does. He connects him with the current reality and all he does is he calls attention to Jesus Christ. 
So fired up about Jesus that he couldn't keep it to himself. He so wanted people to know, hey, this is the life changer. This is the game changer for the whole world. This is the hope of the universe, Jesus Christ. You just have to know this. And so the rest of this sermon from verses 22 right up until verse 36, really what Peter is doing, you can track it in your Bibles and look it up and read it again more closely this afternoon, but he is simply walking through the life of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. Look at verse 22. Guys, you gotta know, Jesus... What's all it's about? It's about Jesus. The whole Old Testament points to it. You know, the prophets point to him. It's about Jesus. He was a man attested to you by God. He was sent to you by God. In fact, he's God's son. How do we know that? Because of his mighty works and the wondrous signs that he did through, that God did through him in your midst. In other words, all these things you've been seeing about, this guy, this fantastic, phenomenal guy, it's, it's not just a guy, he's the son of God. He's Jesus as evidenced by his life. Verse 23, and, and not just did he live, But God sent him here to also deliver him up to death by his plan, by his plan and foreknowledge of God. He delivered him up to death and that he might be the sacrifice for our sins. That's the gospel, right? We're sinners, we need a savior. And even though you crucified him, see it says you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men, that was part of God's plan that he he would actually be the salvation of the world. He'd be the, the sacrifice for all men. So even in his death, he was verifying that he's Jesus Christ, son of God. Verse 24, and yet God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, but because he's God, death couldn't keep him, amen? Death couldn't keep him. It's not possible for death to be held, hold him down. It's not only did Jesus live and die, but he rose again. It's really people of Israel fulfilling a prophecy. They knew the prophecies well. Remember what David said back in Psalm 16? This is a reference to Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 to 11. Remember what David said in Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11? That really wasn't about David. That was about Jesus. You might think it's about David, but it was really about Jesus Christ. All these things here, like, like David's just a guy. Look at all the things he says in this. This is pointing you to Jesus Christ. The resurrected Jesus, the Savior of the world. This wasn't about David, Psalm 16. It was about David. It was ultimately pointing you to the, the, greater, the greater Savior of the people, Jesus Christ, the great S Savior of the people, Jesus Christ. David can't make you secure. This is about Jesus who makes you totally secure. David can't give you hope. This is Jesus, your ultimate hope. David was anointed and appointed by God. Jesus is the ultimate anointing and appointing by God, the perfect one. He'd never sinned or seen corruption. And Jesus is the one who guides you along. You've made known to me the past. Jesus is the one who guides you along the path of life. Don't you see that? It's not until you're in the presence of Jesus that your gladness will be complete. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence what the patriarch David, he both died and was buried. Clearly this isn't talking about David. He's dead. His tomb's in Jerusalem. I visited, millions have visited Clearly he saw decay and corruption, and right? Jesus is the one that not only died, but he also raised, was raised to life. We have proof, not just through history, not just through the prophecies, but through our very eyes. Look what it says. This Jesus, the resurrected one, he's life, then he died, then he rose again. This resurrected one, God has allowed us all to see with our very eyes. We are witnesses of this. 
His whole sermon is about Jesus Christ. Then he goes into the last little bit here saying, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing what you're seeing and hearing. Not only is he resurrected, but God raised him up. He exalted him to the highest place in the galaxies, to the highest place in the heavens, at the right hand of the Father. This is Jesus Christ. You just can't miss it, people. Here's Peter's sermon. This is Jesus. Please don't miss Jesus. He's coming at Jesus from every angle. Please don't miss Jesus, is all he's trying to say. Trying to help them see Ephesians 1.21, that Jesus is the one who's raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. It's really not that rocket science of a message, is it? What's this message about? Sunday school answer, what's it about? Jesus. In fact, you read this message, and if you were probably to read this this afternoon without me preaching on it, you'd probably read it and be like, okay, mm -hmm, tell me something I don't know. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward, right? And look at the, but yet look at the profound impact that this sermon has on 3,000 people. Look at the profound impact of a spirit-sanctioned, faith-filled proclamation of the gospel. That's really what it really is. It's a spirit-sanctioned, faith-filled proclamation of the gospel. A couple things I want you to see about this sermon, just in our own personal lives. We kind of got some theology behind it. Here's some things I just want you to see because I think it's gonna be a life-changer for you as you live audacious faith. It was for me the first time I like, walk glued into this. Here's four things that define Peter's sermon that you can take with in your life as you aim to share Jesus Christ. Here's four things that define Peter's sermon. It was simple, it was clear, it was urgent, and it was expectant. Simple, clear, urgent, expectant. Simple, clear, urgent, and expectant. Why do I tell you this? Because honestly, I think we paralyze ourselves and we put ourselves in little boxes of why I can't share my faith, why I shouldn't share my faith, why God's never gonna use me because I'm not smart enough, strong enough, whatever excuse that you've had and don't realize that all God is calling us to in seeing his mission go forward is to have the audacious faith to step up and speak out. That's all he needs. People who love him enough to know the full reality of Jesus, to know the full reality of a hopeless lost people around us that are on their road to hell and willing to step up, take a big gulp, and tell them about Jesus Christ. I guarantee you that if I were to ask any of you, you know, one-on-one, the content of the sermon, most of you would get all these questions right. Who is Jesus? What was his life like? What was his death like? What was his resurrection like? What's his exaltation like? You'd get these things right. Encourage yourself. You get these things right. You know what God wants us to do as believers with audacious faith? Just share what you know with those around you. Profound, isn't it? Just share what you know. But look at the simplicity of this sermon. There's no, there's no cool stories in here. There's no fantastic illustrations that mesmerize us and draw us in. There's no stories like, look how God's like completely changed my life. And like, man, I, none of that. No deep theological truths or heavy doctrinal jargon that would cause us to be like, wow, Peter's smart. Simply this, here's your present reality. Here's what's going on in the world around you. Here's Jesus. Jesus. 
This is all it's about. This is all sharing our face about. You know, you hear about it and you, we challenge you to do it and it's, it's all it's about. Like, realizing people need Jesus, helping them see their current reality, help, help them see how God fits into their current reality, whether it's a, a, a tough time or a good time or, or a confusing time, help them see that a lonely time and see, hey, God is in this and if you look to Jesus, you can have hope in whatever you're going through. You can have the hope of heaven, you can have the hope of eternity. You know what God's looking for in, in people that he's gonna use greatly for his kingdom? Just people who love Jesus and are willing to step up in faith and speak the truth of Jesus to those around them. And the second thing I want you to see, well, this is clear. It's just super clear. Peter just says, what does he do mostly in this sermon? He quotes the word of God, doesn't he? What makes our, what makes clarity in people's minds when we share Christ? We quote the word of God. He just sticks to the purity of the good news and the, the heart of the issue. When in doubt, I think what Peter's teaching is just quote scripture. It's not how smart we are, or how many apologetics books we've read, or how many courses we've taken, although those are good things, and the evangelism course is coming, those are good things, but ultimately it's not about that, it's about the power of the word of God to change people's lives. That's what's happening here. Another Spurgeon quote, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion, you let the lion out, and it's going to defend itself. The clarity of the power of this word comes from the fact that all Peter was doing is quoting the word of God. Simply sharing what you know with the scriptures that you know. If you don't know scriptures, there's a problem there, right? Believers of Jesus need to be in the scriptures and need to be following the scriptures so we can know God. And as we know God and know the scriptures, God brings things to our minds that, at the right time and the right place that allows us to speak his truth into people's lives. I experienced this on my first trip to Nicaragua a few years ago. I think I've shared this with you before. We're sitting in our plane. We're sitting in our seats. The plane's like supposed to be taken off in a minute. You know, a minute ago, it was supposed to take off. We're like, what are we waiting for? All of a sudden, this, this young guy, about 25, comes bolting in, of course, and he's like all sweaty and all like jittery. He plunks himself right beside me, the only open seat on the plane. Boom. Well, I'm not here by accident. And I was like, well, this is going to be sweet. <laughs> Three-hour flight, right? And so I agree, man. Like, I don't think anything happens by accident. And so, and so we started talking and just started Talking about faith. You know, do you believe in God? I, I believe in God. I believe that you're probably here on purpose. Can I share with you what I believe your purpose is in being here? And he's like, I don't believe in God. I'm agnostic. And so I said, well, what does that mean to you? He started explaining to me all the things of what he believed. And, and uh, this whole conversation, I was like racking my brain, trying to convince him, trying to convince him. And, and finally, I was just like, you know what? Why don't I just show you what the Bible says about this? And so, you know, you believe in a higher power. Let me show you what the Bible says the higher power is. Read this right here. I know, but, 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 but. No, let's read it again. I know, I didn't really think, just read it one more time and tell me what it says. And he read it the third time, he comes up, his eyes had a little bit of it. He's like, so this is saying that God is the higher power. Ding, ding, ding. And you know this, 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 this hand over your life that you felt, that's the hand of Jesus Christ. Can I show you what Jesus Christ is? You know, the one that died for you. Your father didn't love you, you told me that, but this father loves you enough to send his son. Can I show you Jesus Christ? And he I just had him reading scriptures and Ruth's beside me going like, wow, this guy's reading your Bible and everyone else is kind of listening in around because they're like, what's going on over there? And this guy's reading and in the Holy Spirit, you see that he felt this, this, this divine power and you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit guiding and, and keeping you from doing all the bad. He doesn't live within you yet, but he's keeping all the, from all the bad you could do, protecting you even. And the lights were going on and, and that's the... Sometimes I think we think we have to say it all and figure it out and be so clever and so cool and whatever else. It's the power of the word of God, amen? Peter shows us that here. It's, it's the clarity of the word of God that convinces and convicts people. Third thing I want you to see is the urgency of this. You've already written it down, but urgency. Notice that one person out of all of them jumped up. It was Peter. 
Anyone could have jumped up. There's 120 of them that could have jumped up. Peter, he's the one that had the urgency to, to, to jump up and preach. I don't, we don't see any like voice fluctuation. We don't see any like mood in here, but we know Peter was pretty brash, right? And he was pretty like an outgoing boast. I, I think Peter probably just jumped up and he's like, hey, this is too urgent of a message to share with you tomorrow. I want to tell you today what's going on. Like one wounded soldier telling another one where to find a medic. Like one cancer patient telling another one where to find a cure in the hospital. Just an urgency. I see an urgency in Peter. Like, hey, people, you have to know this. Jesus is real. Jesus restores the past. He revolutionizes the present. And he re- reframes the future. You know that the most important conversation, the most urgent conversation you could have and should have with those around you is simply the, the conversation about Jesus Christ? Think what else really matters. You can give them all the platitudes you want of like it's gonna be okay. You can talk sports with them for hours. You can talk about the weather. You can, but the most important, urgent conversation you can have with those around you is the one about Jesus Christ. We don't give them the hope of the gospel. What are we giving them? It's urgent. It affects life here and life forever. It's also expectant. We see in verse 36 the expectancy of Peter and he says this. So let the whole house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's, he's expecting that God's gonna take his words and he's gonna use them for his glory. He's gonna not let his word, as Isaiah 55 says, return void. I wonder if this also cripples many of us. We think it's too hard, we think it's too difficult, we think there's... Too many things going on, but we just don't, we just don't share with expectancy. We don't, we don't expect God's gonna do anything in us or through us, and so we just simply don't share. And when we do, we share with a, a sense of shame or a sense of like holding back. We're just not expecting God to do anything. And yet God promises that he, that, that he anoints his word as it's spoken. And trust me, I count on this every single week as I look at my sermon. I'm like, what's gonna come out of this? I'm sure Peter looks back and he's like, what could have come out of that? Like, what's gonna come out of this? And I, I just bank on the fact that when I get up to preach, God's gonna bless the word of God and he's gonna take it and he's gonna multiply it in people's lives that it's not gonna return void. In other words, something is gonna happen. Even today, in somebody's heart, I don't know what, I don't know who, but something is gonna happen for the glory of God. If we could, if we could share our faith that way, think of how we'd be different in sharing our faith. It's not in my strength. Clearly get that. It's not my ability, it's not my cleverness, we all get that. But God's desire and his longing is to help people know Jesus Christ. To rescue people, and he chooses us to do it. And so if we stand up and do it by faith, why would he not? Why would he not then see some fruitfulness happen? I am expecting this, even this series in this book of Acts is gonna bring us all to a place where we're sharing our faith. It's gonna bring us all to a place where we have the privilege, I'm praying this year, I'm expecting this year that every one of us has a privilege of sharing our faith and even this, seeing somebody come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through your direct involvement in their lives in the gospel. Expectancy. Because this is how God grows a church. This is what the Holy Spirit does in believers, and so if, he, if he's gonna grow the church, he's gonna do this in us, this is how he's gonna do it. Powerful, powerful sermon that we can learn from. And look what happens as Peter, simple, clear, urgent, expectant, in faith, steps up to preach. I'm willing to guess that this is not his best sermon. First one, I remember my first sermon, it was not my best sermon for sure. I listen to some of the old ones and I'm like, oh my goodness, people like let me preach. 
I'm sure Peter was the same. And yet look what happens, look what happens. Unbelievable fruitfulness of true gospel impact happens. Same thing we pray for, same thing we expect as we preach the gospel. Not as we, as we tiptoe around it, not as we, as we do anything else, not as we try and massage into something comfortable. As we preach the true gospel, we expect the same thing. Unbelievable fruitfulness of true gospel impact. This is preaching that packs a punch. Probably in your first read through, you're like, oh, that's not, what's he gonna say about this? This is preaching that packs a punch because it's spirit anointed. It wasn't polished. It wasn't accompanied by a worship team or worship band with cool technology to pull at the heartstrings. And yet, Peter's faithfulness leads to a profound fruitfulness for the Lord. Look at this. Lives are radically changed through this sermon. Look what it says here. Now, when they heard this, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were, they were cut to the heart. In other words, they were, it didn't just rattle around their minds. It like passed through the shoulders and went straight to the heart. And they said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, brothers, they're getting it. If this is true, Jesus, he's the one that we just killed. Like, oh my goodness, now what? We're doomed. What, could we do? what, what can we do now? We've already killed him. Peter, I'm glad you asked that question. Simply this. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lives were radically changed as people heard the gospel. They heard Jesus. They just heard Jesus. And when, when we speak the name Jesus, when we preach the truth of Jesus, God takes by the power of the Holy Spirit and does supernatural things in people's hearts that we can't even begin to comprehend or, or understand. That's what happens here. They, and and these, these, these men and women, they repent. You know what repentance is, right? True repentance is not saying, I'm sorry, God. Sorry. Mm, sorry. Try better next time. Repentance is like, oh, my goodness, I've... I've sinned against the Holy God. Get on my face, uh, God. I need, I need heart change. I need, I need you to change my life. I've, I've offended you. I've sinned against you. I'm so sorry, God. Please change my life. I want to get up from this place. I want to turn 180 degrees and walk the other way. I don't want to go the way of the world. I don't want to go with sin. I want to walk the other way. 3,000 people this day did that. And as they got up and turned to go the other way, the first step they took was in the lake. Be baptized to show the newness of life, to tell the world around them, that, hey, what's happening in, in me is real. It's all I want to demonstrate it for you. I want to be buried in my sin and be made alive with Jesus. The blood of Jesus covers me. I want to be, declare my old life dead and be raised to a new life in Jesus. In essence, what's happening here is there's no room for like undercover Christians or secret, secret family of God people. It's, it's like, hey, put yourself on the line. This is, a humili- this is a humiliating thing for these people back then. Don't want to do it. It's not making me comfortable, but yet this, the, the call of God is so profound that I will do whatever. And so, and so I'll, put my, I'll put my whole life out there for everyone to see. I want to be identified with Jesus and not the world. And of course, and the Holy Spirit is going to come in and, and fill them and, and, and take the heart of stone, as Ezekiel says, and put it in a heart of flesh and give them the desire for godliness instead of sinfulness, give them the desire for the word of God and prayer. And this is what's happening. This is true life change. This is like 3,000 people that, that are, heard this message, this simple little message, and they were never the same since by the power of God. This is true impact, fruitfulness from preaching. We pray this every week in your lives, just so you know. 
We pray this every single week. I pray every single week that God help this message not just rattle around my ears and, and your ears, but get it into our hearts. That, you know, do you realize if we've never been truly impacted by the teaching and the preaching and the word of God, if we've never really got to a place where the, the word of God has cut into our hearts and revealed our sin and revealed our desperate need for Jesus, we, we might not even be saved. Maybe doing a good job of going to church, but not even be saved. We pray this happens, that, that you won't just come and be like, oh yeah, I, I sin, I sh-. No, that we'd be cut to the heart, that God would move us from where we are to where we ought to be. We pray there'd be more baptisms in this place. As people are like, I don't care what my friends think or my family thinks, I want to follow Jesus, I want what Jesus thinks, I want to put it all on the line for Jesus. I'll get in that tank, I'll tell you where I come from, I'll tell you where I'm going. It's the reality of Jesus in me. We pray for more filling of the Holy Spirit in this place as a result of God at work. They wouldn't just be like everybody else. We'd have a new desires within us, new hopes, a new, new power and, and new connection with the Lord. This is, this is what it means to be radically changed. That we'd be living out, that we'd be living out the reality of Acts chapter two in our church. I just wanna say this right now. If there's anyone even in here that has heard of Jesus a long, many times for a long time and never truly repented, and come to the place where you get on your face and the, 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 the word of God really, you allow the word of God to really pound into your heart your need for a savior. Today's a great day to do that. I've never truly repented of my sin. How do I truly repented of my sin? Have you been changed by Jesus? If you said sorry many times but never been changed, you've never really repented. Repentance leads to change of life. Today's a great day to do that, that you would also know the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There's no other gift. See the gift? There's no other gift that is worth even talking about other than the Holy Spirit. I'm 41 now. I've gotten gifts every year, a couple times for the last like 40 years. Like I've gotten some good ones. There's no other gift worth talking about other than the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you, if you receive the gift, you know. I just encourage you to not put off to tomorrow what you can do today. And if you even know in your heart today that God needs you to, to, to come to Jesus, Maybe for the first time, maybe because you've wandered, like just don't put that off till tomorrow. Today, today, today. And this is the promise that he gives for all of our children and all those who are far off. He's not saying that because the 3,000 people did this, their children are automatically saved. He's saying, hey, this is the same promise, this is the same plan of salvation for all those who are coming after you. And, and it's the same thing. Hear Jesus, get on your face, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the same plan that's gonna be now forever until Jesus comes back. This is it. Nothing's different. When you do that, you'll receive all the blessings of God for your own life. And Peter keeps preaching and preaching. He keeps saying over and over, he says, just save yourself, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And I love the last part here. 3,000 souls responded to the truth of the gospel. 3,000 souls. Not only were lives changed individually, but the church grows exponentially through the message, through this message, through Peter's message in, in Acts chapter two. The church grows exponentially. We thought we did pretty well, hey? 180 people, 200 and, you know, 250 showed up. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. 120 people in Acts and 3,000 people didn't just show up. 3,000 people got saved. Now that's a church launch, eh? And they just get saved. They got baptized. These, these disciples, they must be strong guys. They're baptizing all day. 250 people, they all took equal portions. 250 people each, they're baptizing like all day, like dunking them, dunking them. Probably one was tweeting them, right? Tweeting all day. Facebook page lit up, right? 
This is a big deal. Like the 3,000 people got saved. Why? How? This doesn't make sense. This is a simple sermon. It's not even that catchy. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit to grow his church, to build his church, to be faithful to his promise. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. This last verse is just such a good reminder to us that this is what God wants for all of our churches. He, he does want us to grow. He does want us to be reaching out. This whole idea, I hear it often of, well, you know, if you, if you want to grow as a church, that's got to be sinful of some kind. It's got to be some sort of sinfulness. Or like, we don't want to grow as a church because we want to keep this a comfortable little cozy thing. This is our thing. No one else should, this is, That's not biblical. Just telling you, it's not biblical. It's, it's, it's sinful. It's a completely different than what God's heart is for the church. God's heart for the church is to take a little group of people and expand it across the region. God's heart for our church is to take a little group of people who are audacious in our faith and expand the kingdom of God throughout the whole region of Niagara and wherever God leads us. Church growth is actually a biblical concept. Can it be wrong in people's hearts? Absolutely. Can, we, can it go astray? Absolutely. That's why we've got to check our hearts daily and pray and, and pray for all of us so we don't get to the place ever where it becomes a selfish thing or a personal man-building kingdom thing. But can it go wrong? Yes. But is it godly and biblical? Absolutely. You see it here, right? Somebody had to count. How do we know 3,000 people? Somebody was counting. Right? And this is what we pray would happen in our church because I think the principle we see throughout the scriptures, throughout life in general, is that living things do grow. Living things do grow. Even though I stopped growing at like grade eight or something, I don't know, I stopped growing a long time ago. Reality is, is that if we're living, our cartilages and our ears are still growing, our noses are still growing. Man, I'm gonna be an ugly sucker when I'm old for sure. Like we're growing. The moment we stop growing, what happens? We are trees. Do you know that trees are all, all the rings? They're always growing. The moment a tree stops growing, it is. The moment a church stops growing and being used of God and seeing God at work in our lives and the lives of those around us, we become a, yeah, you're getting it. And yet that's not God's plan for the church. God's plan for the church is that we as God's people will be so filled and consumed with the overwhelming power of the Holy Spirit that we'd stand up and speak out the truth of Jesus to everybody that we see and come across and know that God might allow them the experience of, of, of knowing Jesus as we do. This is God's plan for the church. The, the, the pastor isn't the only preacher in the church. A church of 650 people. Guess what God has ordained for our church to have 650 preachers in this church. I so happen to do it on Sunday mornings for an hour every week. As well as I pray we all do it every single day as we are interacting with the world around us. We shouldn't be able to keep up with all that God is doing in our church. We should never get tired of God at work stories. We should never run out of God at work stories. How's that gonna happen as God's people pray and as God's people have an audacious faith to step up and step out for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Lord, give us audacious faith, amen? God, help us to be a church full of Peters, amen? God, help us to be a church on fire that we'd have our own little map that we see the whole movement of God spreading, spreading for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me pray.
God, we thank you for uh, the word of God. We thank you for these great stories of faithful men and women who went before us, who show us what it is to have audacious faith for Jesus Christ. God, I pray for every soul in this room, including mine. God, would you fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit to live lives that are worthy of the calling that you've called us to. God, would you burden us for for the the, the lost around us that need to know the, the truth of Jesus Christ. Father, would you give us all the privilege of even this week sharing our faith this week with somebody around us the best way we know how, with the best words we know how, would we proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and God, we do pray expectantly that you'll take our lives as we live out this calling. We'll take our lives and you'll allow us to see true fruitfulness. As we are faithful, God, you'll allow us to see true fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. God, I even pray in this room right now that you'd give courage to those who are fearful to stand up and share Jesus. God, would you give confidence to those who doubt their own abilities to stand up and share Jesus. God, overall, would you give a a consuming love for Jesus Christ that cannot be contained within us? And God, I pray you would give us all the privilege in this room, everyone, all the privilege of not just sharing our faith, but seeing people added to the kingdom of God as a direct result of my involvement in their lives, of our involvement in their lives. God, would you be so faithful and so gracious to allow us to to see this happen here? We believe that we are the church. The church in Acts is just a picture of the church today. And so God, what we long for is more activity of God here in this place, here in those around us to see the fullness of God cause people to repent and be saved and be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit that there would be a whole group of people from Harvest Niagara that would be in heaven as a direct result of what you're doing here in our church. Please, God, protect us from any other idea of what church is supposed to be and what church is all about. And let us be a passionate people holding nothing back like Jim Elliott on mission for you. In Jesus' name, amen.